0: Thanks, Jonathan, and welcome, everyone, to Bethany Community Church again on this beautiful Sunday morning, at least beautiful here in Seattle, and uh, we continue a series in the Book of Acts and come down to a very, uh, in my opinion, uplifting passage of Scripture that speaks to us about the infinity of God's love and the radical inclusivity of the gospel. So please join me in prayer, and then we'll begin. Father, thanks that we can gather in scattered places around the world and listen for your voice. We're mindful, Father, that uh, you, in the midst of all the chaos and uncertainty that is this moment in history, uh, love us as much today as ever, care for us as much as ever, and stand with open arms, inviting us to simply run into your arms and be held by you. I want to pray today, particularly for those who are lonely, angry, frightened, unseen, for those who feel betrayed. And pray, Father, that you'd speak to those hearts in particular, to all of us, but particularly those hearts about the good news that is Christ and how it applies to those situations. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we began by showing a picture here. uh, And those who are in the room, there's a few of you, worship team and such. Uh, This is an interesting picture because you can see a beautiful young woman or or an older woman uh, who's a bit ragged. How many can see the beautiful young woman? Raise your hands. Those are in the room. How many of you see the older ragged woman? Raise your hand. Yeah, so, so who sees both? A few of you see both. It's hard to see both because once you see one, you're locked in. And then, and then everything that you see in the picture is seen through the lens of what you assume to be true about the picture. But it's actually... Two different pictures rolled into one, and I use this point to to and we can stop showing this now. But I use the point to declare to you that when it comes to reading the Bible, reading the Bible is just like looking at that picture. Not everyone reads the Bible through the same lens. So when Exodus, the book of Exodus, is read by slaves, it's about literal deliverance from slavery. Of course, it would be. Why wouldn't it be? But when it's read by wealthy white people, it's a picture of delivery from slavery to sin. When the Sermon on the Mount is read by wealthy people, it is almost always read from the Gospel of Matthew, because in Matthew, in the Beatitudes, we read this, blessed are the poor in spirit. So when I was in seminary, 99 times out of 100, when I heard the Beatitudes read in the Sermon on the Mount, those those little phrases from Jesus, I heard it from Matthew, blessed are the poor in spirit. But uh, when it's read by people trapped in poverty, it's read from Luke because it doesn't say blessed are the poor in spirit. It says what? Blessed are the poor, period. So here's the deal. Because we have different life situations, we have different lenses. And because we have different lenses, we see the Bible differently and interpret it differently. So we end up with prosperity theology in South Lake Union at Amazon and liberation theology in El Salvador. Same Bible, different interpretation. We see the arc of God's redemptive plan through the lens of our own story. All of us do. And that can maybe be okay because part of the good news is that the gospel is incredibly malleable. It works in Nepal. It works in poverty in Africa. It works in the midst of apartheid in South Africa. It works amongst protesters this day in downtown Seattle. So the gospel is flexible, able to speak into every single human situation and and offer good news for every single human. But it's very important that we begin to see that our understanding of the gospel is not the definite article, only understanding of the gospel, and that there may be facets to our understanding of the gospel that need reordering. And we see this in this story today in Acts chapter eight, uh, because what's happening in the book of Acts in this kind of second phase that we're looking at is... God is beginning to expand the, 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 the family of God, in a sense, by exploding what were previously dividing walls that were keeping people outside of the, quote-unquote, family of God. And so, boom, you know, walls are exploding. We thought it was just for the Jews. Oh, no, it's, it's for people beyond Judaism. Now, there's a, there's a, there's a Samaritan that, that's involved. Last week, we saw that. Boom, the wall between Jews and Samaritans, blown up. Today, watch, boom, 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 three walls blown up, as we'll see in this story. So today's text tries to remove, for all of us, our cultural blinders and expand our view of God's generosity. So there are three considerations that we look at as we consider how God is blowing up dividing walls. We want to see the characters, the story, and the moral of the story. So that's what we're going to look at in our time together. We begin with the characters, and there are three characters, the the eunuch, uh, Philip, and the Holy Spirit. So let's just look at those briefly, and then we'll get into the story. There's a eunuch here, uh, verse 27 of Acts chapter 8. So uh, uh, we see here, the angel of the Lord speaking to Philip, get up, go south to the road, that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. So you can picture a road from Jerusalem heading south. So Philip gets up and goes, and there's an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. So let's just look at him for just a minute. We know something about this guy. He's gone to Jerusalem to worship. There were all kinds of religions at the time, and Judaism with its clarity of moral precepts, offered sanity in a world gone mad, right? It's this old, stable faith, and it was actually increasing in population in the first century. And so here's this eunuch, and he's gone up from Ethiopia to Jerusalem, and he's seeking the worship. Also, we know this, he occupies a high position in Ethiopia. He is in charge of the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia. He's the treasury secretary, Steve Mnuchin, essentially. So here's this guy, A, wealthy, B, position of power and prestige, uh, C, wants to worship God. And yet in spite of all of this, he's excluded from the people of God in three different ways. First of all, he's a Gentile. The entire temple compound was considered holy, but it became increasingly more holy the further you got in to, uh, to the temple, right? So King Herod, who built the temple that was in existence in Jerusalem in the first century had enclosed the outer court with these colonnades and it was referred to the court of the, as the court of the Gentiles because the Gentiles could go only that far. So if you think of our own uh, uh, sanctuary here in which we're located at Bethany Community Church, some of you have been here and you know that th- th- there's this building in which we're doing our thing now and then there's a foyer and then there's a patio. Think of the patio outside as the court of the Gentiles. So you could go, you wanna come to church, so to speak? you can go that far. You can go to the patio, but you can't even get into the foyer, let alone the sanctuary. That's the eunuch. In 1984, my wife and I were living in uh, Los Angeles and the Olympics uh, had, they, they were happening. And so uh, we didn't have any tickets, but we wanted to be uh, in the, in the festival, so to speak. So we drove down to the Los Angeles Coliseum and uh, You know, there's Uncle Sam on stilts and there's people with flags from all the nations and people milling about in and out. And we thought maybe somebody would just randomly give us tickets. I don't know why we thought that. It didn't happen. We were excluded from the actual event. That's this guy. Because he's Gentile, he's excluded. Then on top of that, he's an Ethiopian, which means uh, he's a black man. And there was within ancient Judaism, as later within Christianity, some who believed that black people were under a particular curse based on a misreading of Genesis 9. So he's excluded from being a Gentile. He's excluded for being black. And finally, he's a eunuch. Now, that's a weird word. And there are three kinds of eunuchs in the Bible. Some were men who'd been castrated. Some were men who were born sexually ambiguous. And uh, some were men who were gay. And it's very interesting. uh, There's a a theological debate, of course, about which kind of eunuch this is. Because uh, if you're opposed to uh, homosexuality in some way, you don't want this guy to be gay. And so you build your case why he was castrated. And if you favor homosexuality, uh, you, you want this guy to be gay. So you build your case why he wasn't castrated, but born a eunuch. Well, here's the deal. You don't know, and I don't know, and that's okay. We just sit with the fact that eunuch applies to all three of these situations, right? Gay, sexually ambiguous, castrated. Such people were often chosen to be in service of women of power because they were viewed as safe. So that's, that's the situation here. And 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 yet, being a eunuch, according to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, made it impossible that he could ever be a full convert to Judaism. And if you wonder why, you go read Deuteronomy 23 sometime, and you'll see why. But that's the situation. So he's thrice excluded, right? Excluded on the basis of uh, being a Gentile, being black, uh, being a eunuch. Uh, He wants to worship, but he's shut out. Rejected. Unseen. That applied to anybody today? I can't, don't even get me started. Let's go on. Philip. He's called the evangelist. And we see from other texts that he ends up getting married. He has four daughters. He raises them in the faith. Uh, Some of his daughters go on to become prophetesses. uh, As a Greek and a father of daughters who rose to spiritual authority, Philip represents the the reality that some of the walls are already being broken down. Faith in Jesus was largely born in the midst of Judaism. And Judaism, as we've already seen, had lots of walls, but the walls were already starting to fall down. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the far corners of the world, which at the time was Ethiopia. And Philip represents walls coming down so that although Philip was an outsider with respect to Judaism by virtue of being Greek... He's now an insider. It's often the case, though, that once an outsider becomes an insider, uh, they want to put the wall back up. Like, uh, we lived for years in Friday Harbor. We moved there in the 80s, where I pastored a very small church. And so when we moved there, uh, many Californians were moving from kind of Southern California, L.A. area, fleeing the smog and moving to Washington State and moving to San Juan Island. And so what would happen is people would move to the island and then they'd want to enact zoning laws that made it harder for other people to move to the island. Like once I'm in, I want anybody else in. Well, that's a mindset that needs to be addressed as we'll see in this text. But Philip is not of that mindset. And the reason that he's not of that mindset is because of the third character in the story, the Holy Spirit. Now, as I said last week, uh, the Bible speaks of life in the Spirit, so to speak, as being kind of like a leaf carried along by the wind. Sometimes the only explanation for something you do is you have this inner prompting. So, for example, there's this woman in 1958 who goes back to Central America to live among the folks who killed her husband. Her name is Elizabeth Elliot. Why'd she go back? This is what she said. I don't know, other than God told me to go back. I'm going to go back and live among the people who executed my husband. And she received pushback from the church. She said, all I know is God's calling me. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, living in America, uh, uh, was offered a professorship, and instead he went back to Germany uh, just as World War II was breaking out, and he ultimately ended up being arrested and executed. And when asked, why in leaving the comfort of America? He said, I don't know. I just know I have to go back. I just know the Holy Spirit is calling me. Listen, the wind of the Holy Spirit moves us in different directions. And so you're in a place and then you're in a different place. And when the wind of the Holy Spirit moves, go. Because the Spirit is directing this entire thing here that happens in this story. Verse 26, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Philip get up and go down on the road that descends uh, to, to Gaza. So Philip's on the road. Verse 28, the Spirit says to Philip, uh, go hop on that particular chariot. He does. Verse 30, ran, he, 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 he runs up and he, heard, he hears this guy in the chariot reading Isaiah the prophet and ends up leading this guy to Christ sharing the good news of the gospel. There's a sense here that, when you're caught up in the activity of God, what's happening is completely different than quote-unquote building your own life. Does that make sense? Like, sometimes we're like this. Yeah, you make a, you know, a three-year plan, a five-year plan, a ten-year plan, and then boom, you go after it. I'm just here to say, plan all you want, but always, if you have a plan, plan. Hold it with an open hand, because when your plan becomes an idol, that will prevent the Holy Spirit from guiding you. And I I will tell you, in my own life anyway, looking back over the the life that God has given me, it's a fuller life, a richer life, a better life than I could ever, ever have designed. Because all I want to do is go where the Holy Spirit tells me to go. Go. And when the Holy Spirit says it's time to quit, quit. When it's time to stay, stay. When it's time to move to a different city, move to a different different city. Don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit will guide you. I hope you felt this, this guidance of the Spirit. And if you haven't, there's one of two reasons. Number one, Maybe you haven't surrendered control to the Holy Spirit in your life. You want to build your own life. You have a determined income. You have a determined property acquisition. You have a a determined geographical circle in which you will find yourself. This is my life. And I'm just here to say to you, no, it's not. If you wanna be in the stream of God's activity, then every day you're like this. It's not my life, it's Christ's. It's not my authority, it's Christ. It's not my timing, it's Christ. It's not my money, it's Christ. It's not my sexuality, it's Christ. And when it's Christ, the Holy Spirit directs you When the Holy Spirit directs you, all is well. So if you haven't surrendered control, doesn't matter how well you know your Bible, you're missing the life for which you're created. Maybe you have surrendered control, but you're not listening. And so I would suggest that surrender and listening are the two pillars of a Spirit-filled life. If I already know the desired outcome, I'm not listening to the Spirit, and I'm not surrendered. The story that God wants to write is better. So, having looked at the characters, right, the eunuch, Philip, the Holy Spirit, let's look at the story. And I wish, I totally wish, that I was just sitting with you over a cup of coffee to share this story. Because this story is awesome. Right? Uh, So here's the deal. Picture it. The Ethiopian eunuch, he went up to Jerusalem. He wanted to worship. And at the least, he learned that he wasn't welcome any further than the patio, to use contemporary terminology, let alone the foyer, let alone the sanctuary. Like, he was stuck in the outer court of the temple, and probably he learned there the passage in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, which says, No one with crushed testicles, which is a euphemism for eunuch, no one with crushed testicles can enter the temple. That's probably what he heard. And he probably learned about the quote unquote curse of Ham in Genesis 9 that misread, said to people that those who have dark skin are under a curse from God, which is not true, but was an interpretation at the time, inappropriately used to keep black people on the margins. So, so he went to Jerusalem to worship and he kind of sees, I'm not welcome in the temple and I'm not welcome as a Gentile and I'm not welcome as a black man and I'm not welcome with my eunuch status, status whether, it's, whether it's castration or sexual ambiguity or gay, any of them, I'm not welcome. But although he shut out He's still seeking God, and that's the beauty of the story. Verse 27 and 28, he'd come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning now, having been quote-unquote shut out, and was sitting in his chariot reading the prophet Isaiah from a scroll. So I love this. As a result of being shut out, he doesn't say, I'm done with this. In spite, watch this, in spite of layers of exclusion and and isolation, he continues to seek God. I I can't stress this enough. All of us need to deal with the hand we've been dealt. Are we treated unjustly? Yeah. Have we been excluded? Yeah. Is the world not fair? Yeah. Yeah. I can always seek God. And what I love about this guy is in spite of disappointment, in spite of setback, in spite of in spite of, through no fault of his own, living in an unjust world that's exclusionary, he continues to seek God. He apparently purchases a scroll, which is very expensive at the time, and that's how we know that he's wealthy, of uh, the book of Isaiah. And on the way back, from a temple that he could not enter, he's reading the scroll. What a great story. And then the Holy Spirit directs Philip to get on that exact road and to hop on that exact chariot. And this is where this passage from Isaiah 53 would have been incredibly powerful in light of what he had just experienced. Why? Because remember, what's Isaiah 53? Well, it says here, he was led as a sheep to slaughter, and he was humiliated and taken away. Wow. I've just been humiliated, not let in. I've just been taken, I've just been sent away. I get chills thinking about it. So Philip then hops on the chariot. And the, the, the eunuch asked him a question. Verse 34, Philip had said, what are you reading? Do you understand it? And the eunuch says, well, I can't understand it unless someone explains it to me. And then he, he, he reads to Philip, Isaiah 53, and he says, who is this text speaking about? Is Isaiah speaking about himself or is this referring to another And then Philip has an answer in verse 35, beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. He didn't preach Richard Rohr's universal Christ, though I believe Rohr is on to something. He didn't preach socialism or capitalism or anti-racism or environmentalism or voluntary simplicity or sexual ethics. He didn't preach any of these things, even though it's quite clear that those who are on the path of Jesus will address all those things and more, both in their personal lives and in the life of the community and in the life of the culture. But Philip did not start there and neither should you. Philip showed how the entire Bible points to Jesus and the cross and the resurrection as the turning point of history. And I'm gonna come back to this in a minute because it's the most important part of the story but he, he preaches Jesus to him, verse 35. And then as they go along, verse 36, on the road, the eunuch sees some water and he says, hey, what's to prevent me from being baptized? And then I want you to notice the text. It's, it's so important. There's none of this. What's to prevent you from being baptized? Oh, uh, well, there's a two-year confirmation discipleship program that you have to pass. So come study with us for two years, and then if we think you're worthy, boom, you're baptized. Or if there's no, hey, f- fill this out. You know, we want to know, know all about your sexual ethics, and, and we want to know all about your marital status, and we want to we know all about your private life, and we want to know all, we want to know, if, like if you're, if you're worthy, boom, you'll be baptized. There's none of that. The eunuch reads Isaiah. Philip says Isaiah points to Jesus as the definite article, all caps, 48 point font, the solution for the human dilemma. And then the eunuch is like this. This is the story I want to be in. Can anything prevent me from being baptized today? And Philip says, no. Why is this not the gospel? I don't understand. God is that radically inclusive, and we should be. Hmm. So verse 37 teaches us something really important. Coming to Christ is predicated on coming to Christ plus nothing. Could you just say that to one another in the living room? Right now, coming to Christ is predicated on coming to Christ plus nothing. And then look at verse 38. He ordered the chariot to stop. They both went down. And Philip baptized him. And then when they came up out of the water, Philip's gone. Snatched away. Uh, I won't even talk about that for now. He's just gone. So... (laughs) Imagine this. The eunuch gets back on the chariot, as hundreds of miles to go, continues reading Isaiah. Chapter 53, we've already seen the suffering servant. Chapter 54 is all about a new covenant, not law, but grace. Chapter 55 of Isaiah is about how God is creating an entirely new order of things. Let me just read for you a couple of verses there. Chapter 55. You'll go out with joy. He's just, he's left Jerusalem. You'll go out with joy. You'll be led forth in peace. The mountains, the hills will break forth in shouts of joy. The trees of the field will clap their hands, and I will make the desert bloom. An everlasting sign. He's he's driving through the desert. He's just left. And this passage is, you'll go out with joy. Well, why would I have joy? Well, first of all, I've met Jesus. But then he keeps reading chapter 56, says this. Look at verse four of Isaiah 56. For thus says the Lord to the eunuch who keeps my Sabbath. That's what he says in the text. To the eunuch who keeps my Sabbath and chooses what pleases me and holds fast my covenant, to him I will give my house. The house that I could not enter. The text says, To the eunuch I will give my house. Are you kidding me? Imagine that. He's reading. I, the eunuch, will have an everlasting name that will not be cut off. A place within my house. You thought you were an outsider because the world told you you were an outsider. You thought you were cut off because the world told you you were cut off. You thought you were unseen among the people of God because the quote unquote people of God told you you were unseen. I'm here to say to you in the name of Jesus, you are not cut off. You are not an outsider. You are not unseen. Whoever you are, whatever your station in life, God is for you. Does that apply today? Think of all the people unseen. I'm just going to say to you, God sees you. And for we who are quote-unquote insiders, the reason we haven't solved the race problem in America after hundreds of years is that, and this is a quote actually from John Perkins, who wrote a book called One Blood, The reason we haven't solved the race problem is people apart from God are trying to create unity, while people under God who already have unity are denying the unity that God has given them. And the result of both of these conditions is disastrous for America. It's a curse. The way forward? Live in Acts, man, and recognize that God is exploding every single wall so, should we? So, what's the moral of the story? Well, first of all, the moral of the story is the gospel's for outsiders. The law says Gentiles, women, people outside the sexual norms are excluded. The gospel scrambles our, our logic. The eunuch, cut off without posterity, receives the very name of God because Christ says in Isaiah, Oh, are you cut off? Look, I identify with you. I was cut off. Come join the family of outsiders. And this is all very good news for the poor, the marginalized, the outsider, those who feel unseen, because the reality is that no matter how far organized religion of which I am a part, no matter how far we miss the mark, God sees you, God knows you, God loves you, God is for you, God invites you into God's story of hope. There's a place at the table just for you. Receive it. And we will try to do better (laughs) to align our heart with God's. But the gospel is for outsiders. And then what makes this work so beautifully is everyone's an outsider. Even we who think we're on the inside, we're not. The eunuch's an outsider. We've already seen ethnicity, skin color, sexuality. But did you know that Philip... Vis-a-vis the eunuch is, is an outsider financially. The eunuch is richer than Philip. Philip's dead broke. He's quit his job. One early church father says of Philip, he's poor, unskilled, easily despised. So who's an outsider? Well, people are outsiders by race, by skin color, by financial status, by hidden addictions, by loneliness, by body image, Everyone who feels unseen has a place at the table and that's everyone. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. God's not inviting us to claim this inheritance and this journey by being worthy. When he said, it is finished, God's not mad anymore. That's what that means. And so God is inviting everyone to claim their inheritance and begin this journey of transformation and enjoy it for the rest of their lives. In my own experiences of ministry, uh, three stories I share with you. A 14-year-old at camp once, given the opportunity uh, to receive Christ's and live in union with Jesus uh, said to the camp speaker, I could never receive Christ, Christ would, because Christ would never receive me. Why? This is what she said. Uh, and with tears in her eyes, she said, because uh, my, my dad told me I was destined to be a slut. She's 14. <laughs> and I've slept with so many boys, I can't remember their names. And she cut herself And now she's in Christ. 22-year-old at Bible school told me a story of uh, coming out to his parents, of several subsequent to coming out attempts at suicide because of rejection from his parents, rejection from his church, who then met with a pastor who said to him, God loves you, there's a place at the table for you. Now in Christ author who needed to leave the faith because his church was so racist in a state in the South. And then after leaving the faith entirely, found Christ by reading Acts chapter eight and the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. And seeing for the first time, even though he grew up in the church, seeing for the first time the radical inclusivity of the gospel. My encouragement to all of us in the room and beyond the room, since there are only eight of us in the room. (laughs) First of all, we have to receive this radical inclusivity. We have to. And recognize that God's embrace of us is never predicated on our performance. That we can always come home, always. and, and, And bask in that love. And then, having received unconditional love, we have to go out and embody unconditional love. Declaring the glad news, there's a place at the table for everybody. And then we have to point people to the reason for the glad news. Remember, Philip? Beginning with Isaiah, he preached Jesus to him. Jesus, the source of the breaking down of every dividing wall and the creating one vast family of sons and daughters. That's where history's headed. Join the story. Let's pray. Father. I want to thank you so much that you see the unseen, that you hear those who feel they have no voice, that you love the neglected. Forgive us, Father, for making the gospel harder than you do. Jesus, we want to just sit with that and receive the good news that your love is without condition. You invite us to transformation, of course. But the starting point of the gospel is not perform. The starting point of the gospel is receive and then allow that beautiful wind of the Holy Spirit to continue us on a journey of transformation for the rest of our lives. May we bask in your love this morning. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.